and welcome to the Dice is Screaming podcast. Ah! Yeah, coming at you one more time and every week now. Yeah, we're back and ready for... Intolerably so. Intolerably, yes. And we're back for another round of shenanigans. Oh, we have plenty of those. Uh, we've got some mischief as well. I'm, I'm almost certain, uh, you know, we, we've got mayhem in the works, too. But mostly shenanigans. Mostly shenanigans, yeah. We'll be nice and won't use the other word. I was going to say. I have a filter. It, it does occasionally work. Weren't they like a 1960s mod-era British band during the, the first British invasion? The shenanigans? I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's been a good week, and hopefully it's been a good week for you folks out there as well. Uh, yeah, we uh, we had a lot of fun talking about immersion and mechanics, so we're glad yeah. that went over well. Uh, it's a little bit of a deep dive, and it's one of those things where it's hard to really grasp everything articulately and describe it. But, yeah, a lot of good uh, feedback uh, across Twitter. Um, well, I'm glad people enjoyed, because... It- Look, immersion is a factor. I mean, it, it's a serious factor of any RPG. So getting a chance to kind of just turn the microscope to, like, you know, X200, mm-hmm. and let's examine this at a cellular level. Uh, you know, that was worth our time, I think. Yeah, and thanks to uh, John Peterson, who enjoyed the episode. So, yeah, that was a cool thing. Oh, Yeah, wonderful. playing at the world, he saw that, and, uh, yeah, just want to make sure that he knows that uh, and also our audience knows that he was uh, the one who really come out with the idea, but on his blog. But yeah, it it definitely uh, provoked some a little bit of topic of conversation between us both, and we felt that that was something we wanted to do. So thanks a lot, everybody. Yeah, thanks again, Mr. Peterson, because I mean that was a well one. I mean it's a great book, playing at the world, but oh. also the the follow up blogs and writing on the subject are much appreciated. Yeah, we uh, put up on the uh, Dice very erudite. Oh yeah, this is a man who does his research. Oh yeah, that guy is—it's—it's it. it's very thorough. Um, way more so than we. Oh yeah, we're we're conscious <laughs> compared to that. He did the die four thing, and to uh, our credit, though, I mean, you know, we remember a lot of stuff. Uh, so, like, it's not so much research as like literally just going. Oh yeah, you remember that time we totally did this thing? You know, it, yeah. So. Uh, Technically, the research was done 35 years ago, uh, <laughs> and then on through the 90s and into the 2000s uh, until the current day. But is it really but, research when you live through it? You know, I'm willing to give us a pass on that one and say it does qualify as research. I mean, sure. we were there. You know, it, it's kind of like gorillas in the gamers in the mist. You know, uh, <laughs> gamers in the basement. That's what we should. Uh... <laughs> and the mist is mostly made up of Dorito farts. Yeah. <laughs> but, Talk about your cloud kill. Ooh. But yeah, uh, we just want to make sure that uh, our audience uh, knows that that was also uh, we were ripping off somebody else. But uh, yeah, John Peterson's uh, playing at the world. Definitely good. He just had a thing about die fours, and I thought that's what we talked about tonight. So we'll be back to that uh, in just a moment because we got some call-ins from Jason. So take it away, Jason. Hey, guys. Jason here. If you need a palate cleanser after the D&D movie, maybe look at Hawk the Slayer. Hawk the Slayer, where Jack Palance chews the scenery more than Oliver Reed, which is something to watch, I'll tell you what. And, and you know, it's got a party like Conan the Destroyer does, although the, you know, the partier all take a real big backseat to Hawk the Slayer. 
even more so than the party in Conan the Destroyer takes to Conan. But Hawk the Slayer is definitely an interesting movie. As far as immersion goes, I, you know, I'm going to talk about this on my podcast, but you have a wider audience, so I'll drop you this tip. Have the players tell you one thing that motivates their character and one thing their character fears. And the fear could be anything from snakes to failure or whatever, right? But if, if they have that, that in their mind and you have it in your mind, it's, you, you know, they can play to that and you can throw those things out in front of them. So that's a really easy way to, you know, even a, a new player, you, you throw that out and then you can, you know, mess with their motivations and their fears. Uh, was there something else? We talked about Hawk the Slayer, talked about Immersion. Nope. I will let you go. I hope you have a great night and I'll talk to you soon. All right. And thanks a lot, Jason. Uh, yeah, oh, we did man. talk, we did talk about Hawk the Slayer previously, but yeah, I'm not sure what Oliver Reed played in Hawk the Slayer. Uh, we were just looking that up on IMBD when, I don't know. But uh, maybe as a priest or something. That's I remember Jack Palance's. Oh yeah, Bolton. Man, you know, it, not his greatest moment. Uh, I mean, he was a scene stealer, but it it did feel like uh, they sort of just let him have his way with it. Because I mean, it's Jack freaking Palance. Who is going to tell the bad guy from Shane? Okay, that shot sucked. I'm going to need you to do this over again. I would literally faint from terror, attempting to tell. Jack Palance that. It would just kill me. He, he's had some bad ones, and um, <laughs> Alien is probably not the H.R. Giger, uh, Ripley Scott movie, but uh, there's another one uh, out there you can find. It's got Martin Landau in it. Oh. Yeah, where he just charges the alien by screaming, Alien! <laughs> and, wow, <laughs> so beneath you, my friend. But, uh, yeah, we could do an entire podcast on Jack Balance alone on all the bad roles he's been given. Yeah, and such a terrific actor. I mean, he was wonderful in Shane. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, like, there's a clap back to the ancient world. Oh, classic. Yeah. If you have an homage to Shane, do please watch it and then homage the crap out of it. Uh, exactly. Like, in any setting. And you will, having seen it, recognize it being homaged in darned near... Every possible genre imaginable. <laughs> Including, not kidding here, folks. Here's a little gamer tidbit. The original Battlestar Galactica series. Okay. Uh, there was an episode, Gunfighter episode. Yep. Where, yes. Uh, and, yeah, that there was some Shane homaging going on there. So, yeah, it, it's... It may be an old movie with Jack Palance and and uh, Alan Ladd, but it had enormous reach to other filmmakers and writers. So just throwing that one out there. Yeah, but uh, your take on also the immersion for getting characters, one thing that they are afraid of. and A motivator and a fear. You yeah, know. What, their, what their character truly wants and what they're truly afraid of. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I like to use also cast your PC as a actor for many, hmm. any time. Well, and I, I like that you mentioned snakes because the first thing I thought of as like as Jason said that was like uh, Indiana Jones. Well, yeah. <laughs> it belongs in a museum. 
why did it have to be snakes? You know, just boom. Motivation and fear. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it tells you a couple of things that give you a place to start from. I, I like it. Uh, keeps it short and simple, too. Doesn't bog it down with, like, I need a fully detailed character backstory. Uh, including, you Like Tedious the Legendary? <laughs> Dead in three seconds. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. Killed by goblins. He was only second level. <laughs> Perhaps the legendary was not the greatest way to go with nicknames. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks a lot. Um, so oh, likewise. Yeah. Uh, going with John Peterson's uh, the section of the Dive Four. I think uh, that will make a worthy topic. What do you say? Yeah, I like it because uh, yeah, I mean it's got that wonderful pyramid-like shape that lends itself well to you know. Uh, Mysteries of ancient civilization and wild conspiracies about the buildings of the pyramids and their real purpose. Yeah. And here it is reflected in the humble four-sided die. You're sitting there in your dice bag just waiting to be rolled yeah. for dagger damage or a magic missile. I want to paint a little eye on the top of it, you know, just yeah. give it that extra creepy vibe. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so let's talk about the die four. Let's get into it. Well, first, I would like to segue uh, just for a moment and talk about originality. Oh, okay. I'm going to segue into story time. Yeah, just to you know, rock the children to sleep, and I will I will tell you a story of the ancient ways of our forefathers. Once upon a time, they made these things called movies. No, no, I know what you're thinking. Everybody's seen those. They have those today too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hear you, but you're going to have to let me finish here because they made them differently once upon a time. (laughs) In a time before time, when we were young and had no back pain, uh, studios would pay a person called a writer. Really? And it wasn't just enough to be a writer but you had to present them with something new, something that had not been done before. And they actually expected that. They expected you to write some new stuff, present it to them, and then they would make a decision of whether it was a good enough risk to take or not. And they would film this brand new material including ideas and concepts that had never been done before. And that made going to movies exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm with you. Well, we don't do that anymore. That's not a thing now. Now it's like the, if it isn't a franchise or, uh, you know, we have carefully pre-studied the potential approval rating for this and determined that a you know, like 62.4% approval rating means that this is acceptable to invest in. Yeah, the formula now means that we, we you're never going to see... Uh, Another movie like Highlander. Highlander. Yeah, that's yeah. our topic for tonight. Gotcha. 35th anniversary. Yeah, and we're going to talk about gaming in Highlander, so get ready. I, look. These are intersectional topics, okay? We love movies that are in our target genres. And if you were a gamer in the 1980s, this was the movie that so many of us remember with joy. I went into that theater a child, and I came out a man with like a crotch pelt and back pain overnight. Pow! 
kudos for using pelt. I've been using that quite a bit myself. All right, so yeah, uh, Highlander. Yeah, 35th anniversary. Uh, Christopher Lambert, mm. Clancy Brown. Yeah, uh, and the director, a, a visionary of epic proportions, who was given just enough budget to go and film at Castle Arg uh, in the Scottish Highlands. Yeah, yes. and yeah, Arg. what a great, what a great story, and. Um, we just say epic in the way that people overuse words like vintage. Inside vintage. But you would expect no less from. <laughs> the gaming podcast that actually makes you think, hey, you know what? Maybe splitting the party up and just seeing what happens could be a good idea. Right. And so we're going to gush a little bit, and then we're going to get into the details. So this movie came out. I'm a little fuzzy on when I saw it. I think it was 86. It had to be. But it was only in the theaters for like two weeks. Oh, yeah. Grossly unfair. It was woefully uh, underestimated. It was one of those movies that picked up on the VHS craze uh, in the rentals. You know, people picked it up and they just watched it and passed it around. I did get to see it. Uh, I had a friend who uh, took his uh, girlfriend on a date. And then he came over to my house and literally abducted me to go see the 11 o'clock. Uh, clock movie. <laughs> he, he forcefully like threw me in a car and said, "You must see this movie." And I'm like, "I don't want to see a movie. I just want to hang out tonight." And no, no, we got to go see this movie. And um, much kicking and screaming, and of course, the opening sequence in the wrestling ring, and how it just goes around and then just focuses right on McLeod, oh, the Highlander. Yeah. He's right there in the middle of this and completely unfazed, but he knows that. His quarry is near. And they go into that underground parking lot and have a sword fight. And you're kind of like, what am I watching at this point? Yeah, because, look, let's face it. uh, Nothing in, like, the opening credit moments gave you any indication of what was really about to happen in this movie. So you are literally just like, okay, it's big time wrestling. Okay. Um, Pretty popular at that period of world. Wrestling Federation, you know, the Hulk Hogan era, you know. All the 80s kids remember the the dawn of big-time wrestling really hitting TV. So you're going, uh, okay, I'm in. Let's just see what happens here. And then underground sword fight. With acrobatics. Acrobatics. (laughs) You know, that guy doing the back. flying off of their blades, fighting for their lives in an underground parking garage. Yeah, running across the hoods of cars, these big old gas-guzzling monsters. Oh, yeah, classic 80s cars. And they just blow up, and then uh, one of them gets beheaded, and then they have a lightning-gasm. <laughs> yes, one is beheaded, and the other gets a lightning-gasm level up. Just Yeah, and the beauty of it is you don't know who to root for. You don't know who's the good guy and the bad guy. There's kind of an illusion that the bad guy is the guy with the sunglasses, but... I, yeah, he does look pretty bad, but, but you, you don't, don't really know. know. You you have nothing really to go on. You're just dropped into the middle of this like a strange bystander going, the hell just happened here? I'm pretty sure it was awesome, but I, I haven't completely made up my mind yet. 
Yeah, and content warning. Yeah, there's some homophobic jokes that are told because uh, oh. he gets busted by the cops and accused of all these things. And yeah, so then the, the guy who survives gets busted by the cops, and then he goes to a flashback, and we're back in Scotland. And you're, and at that point, I was completely like, "Thank you, thank you for bringing me here," because I never would have come to see this movie. Yeah, I had no idea it was going to go in this direction. So, you know, no sooner than he is, you know, dealing with the fallout of having been arrested, getting out of that parking garage in a hurry. Uh, <laughs> He's arrested by the cops. <laughs> you know, it, no sooner than he's done dealing with that than you get your flashback into, uh, you know, a thousand years ago or thereabouts. So, yeah. You know, or, you know, hundreds of years ago in Highland, Scotland. And man, <laughs> nothing you really pro- projected going in. You You would never have guessed that. What kind of wild ride is this movie taking? Yeah, and then, you know... But you're not unhappy with it. And then you get Sean Connery. Yeah, Sean Connery in a peacock cloak. I just... With a katana. I'm... Yeah, I know, right? It just... This is like a bacon sandwich made of nothing but bacon with bacon for buns. Okay, (laughs) it's just bacon, bacon, and more bacon. There's... Everything is good here. And it keeps getting better. And, like, literally, we're only, what, like, maybe 20 minutes into the freaking movie here. Oh, yeah, it's about, yeah, half an hour Sean Connery shows up on a horse after, and you're just like, what <laughs> the hell is going on here? The Spaniard, Ramirez. And I back up the bacon truck. <laughs> and then the Kurgan. Well, the Kurgan's right in the right there in the first 30 minutes. is like, yeah, Clancy yeah, Brown, six foot four. His Heath Ledger moment where he completely just spends the rest of this movie walking around talking and brutalizing everybody around him. He is such a monster and an utter bastard. But oh. yet with a strange sense of humor. This is a, all a grand jest to him. Yeah, you get that sense of there are truly no Fs given. Does not care if he wins or loses, actually. You're like, you know, just going to try. Has no intention of holding back. Has nothing else to care about. A contemporary of Attila the Hun. Yeah. As he's introduced. (laughs) You know, from the steps. The only survivor. And, yeah, the movie, uh, if you've seen it, uh, if you haven't seen it yet, probably go see it. But if you have seen it, you know what we're talking about. Um, and then they finally catch up to the modern times. And this movie, literally in its scope, and this is why I say he's such a visionary, the producer and director had an idea on how to put this together. And I think the director, this is the one time where you get a, uh, a new director who had a certain vision, and he was able to put it together the right way by spanning across centuries, a tale told in flashbacks and allusions and for me, uh, Clancy Brown's portrayal of the Kurgan, right off the bat, he's in that skull armor. He's got a bear skull. You know, he's got skulls on his shoulder. He's in the skull armor, man. And he's there. He says, I, I, Skeletor, I'm here for one person. <laughs> Leave And, you know, there's poor Connor McLeod going through trying to, to find somebody to fight in his first battle. And everybody runs away from him. Because <laughs> that's who he's going for. Yeah. And the Kurgan is not shy about mowing down anybody who gets in the way of his purpose. 
And yeah, he understands his ability of mortals being put into the Scottish lake, tipped over. And, uh, you know, he's down at the bottom of the lake and he finds out he can't die. Yeah. <laughs> Ramirez is trying to explain to him, you're immortal, you can't die. Here, let me demonstrate. I'll dump you off this boat in the middle of the lake. I can't swim. Not this a problem. Spanish peacock, <laughs> all right, see you later. <laughs> You'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, he's going to figure this out on his own. Uh, the amiable nature of Sean Connery's uh, mentor role there uh, was an interesting dynamic because it is explained to them you know, to the, the novitiate Highlander that they, all of these immortals are engaged in a contest, so to speak, and the last person standing gains the prize. That inevitably, uh, they do have to fight and kill one another until only one is left. Now, what seemed at cross-purposes to people at that moment was, well, why is this guy helping him out? Well, look, they're still people, and they still have, you know, personalities. Uh, some malevolent, uh, some benevolent. And there's no malice in it. It's more like, you know, a sense of camaraderie, and uh, look, we'll have this friendship to last us throughout the ages for as long as we know each other, because who knows when this final battle will be fought. Uh, and so why not help someone else and count them as a friend and an ally for potentially, you know, many, many centuries? So, yeah, there was a sensible reason. You're like, well, shouldn't you just hack his head off right there? He's your competitor. <sighs> Look, it's a long and lonely existence. Uh, well, right. And a few pals. This is, this is my take on it. Is the immortals in Highlander are like vampires. Except they took the whole concept of vampires, like drinking blood. Yeah, they threw that out. They prey on each other. They don't prey on other people. They live forever. They have none of the traditional weaknesses. They take the church's uh, neutral ground. Yeah. yeah. So they don't fight on, it's on holy ground. They do not fight. This is, this is neutral ground, Highlander. Yep. Even the Kurgan, although would push it. Still respected the traditions. Oh, yeah. He would taunt somebody else to try to get them to get their goat and make them lose their reason. Uh, but even he, still not breaking the rule of sacred ground. Right. And so they're vampires in the way that they cut each other's heads off and they take their powers, <coughs> becoming more powerful in and all those that the uh, previous one had slain and taking them onto themselves, becoming. Of higher level, like as uh, just like in a video game where you could just basically see during the lightning gasms they have power up, <laughs> time to level up. Okay, <laughs> and you know you do see a it's subtle, but it's there. The Kurgan, when we're fully introduced to him, besides just small scenes and killing Ramirez, he's in a sleazy. Flea bag hotel waiting for a hooker <laughs> while practicing these outrageous sword moves. And he's alone because it doesn't matter if he was in a high class hotel or a low one. Yeah, he literally doesn't care. He has no attachment or connection to anything except finding his next prey and killing him. And he's swinging that sword around, doing some flipping it around his back and on his arms and making it do twirls. Yeah. 
And then you see McLeod, who is in this uh, very elegant penthouse suite, surrounded by antiquities. And oh, yeah, beautiful things, ancient books, uh, you know, masterwork weapons, uh, you know, and armor. And, yep, and helms. Just, here is a person who, completely unlike the Spartan, uncaring, unconnected life of the Kurgan, here is a person who obviously still has empathy, still has a sense of connection to the world and the people in it, in spite of having watched so much of it fade away and rapidly change and leave him behind, still a part of the world, still connected to people, still reaching out. Uh, so just with the background imagery of their living spaces, the movie spells out the enormous differences in the you know, two characters. It just a cunning, beautiful way to have done it, too. Yeah, I mean, of course, threatening the uh, people inside the Fleabag Hotel was, <laughs> never speak to me again. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you just spoke to me now. Okay. I, I <laughs> but yeah, the Kurgan also has a strange mirth to him. Yeah, I, well, I mean, he's, after a fashion, he's kind of a thousand-year-old troll, okay? I mean, he's laughing at everything. It doesn't matter. I, like, he would honestly respect you more if you killed him. Uh, it, on the way out, he'd still be like, okay, you won. It's not, it, nothing matters, you know, thus the Yeah, he, take, he takes that old and woman's it's car. It's nice that, that you mentioned the Heath Ledger moment. Because this was Clancy Brown's, like, one of his finest hours as a younger actor. Mm -hmm. He he owned the entire role as the Kirkin. He stole every scene that he was in. He dominated uh, effortlessly, you know. And the villainous nature of that character came alive. Uh, and you're right. It was a, a kind of... Breathless anticipation, of wondering what he would do next. Because he's he was such so a nihilist yeah. that he lives in the moment, right then, of whether terror or pain. Almost a Groundhog Day level moment, where he's like, yeah, "I can't die anyway. So what are we going to try today?" Oh, I thought I would like you know, drive a big old Linton Continental down the sidewalk, mow over people, terrorize as many people as I could, and then just you know see what happens. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Fine with that. I'm going to shove this fork in an outlet. Just see what happens. Yep. Oh, wow, that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> My hair looks awesome. Yeah, and uh, the safety pins on the neck. That is the ultimate punk moment right there out of <laughs> that New York City scene. And that's another character in the movie is New York itself. And, yeah, so... A good point is... The city of New York is much like uh, New Zealand being the, you know, like the land being the last character in Middle Earth uh, in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the city of New York was the side character in Highlander. It just these wonderfully gritty shots of side streets and alleyways and rain. And uh, it did feel like. They brought it to life handsomely. And, uh, of course, the movie ends with uh, Christopher Lambert as a character 
Spoiler. Yeah, getting the prize. And, you know, it's it's a little bit of an anticlimactic. And, of course, at this point, we're not going to talk about any of the sequels. We're going to just make a brief mention about Highlander, the series. And that was an outstanding uh, little bit of TV there that I think was three seasons. If I recall correctly, I cannot be certain. And it's been a long time since I've Christopher Lambert did make uh, Reprise's role in the TV series in the finale, so... Yeah. Um, they kind of put it, spelled it out. And, you know, they dictated some more terms like the Watchers. They expanded the kind of uh, Highlander universe and talked about, like, what Ramirez did is because, well, they don't have children. They cannot conceive. So... Yeah, the gift of immortality was is that their immortality was removed. They could die now. And they could also uh, potentially have children. But, you know, that's how I think I viewed uh, Ramirez's relationship with McLeod was is that he he wanted a son. And that a new found Highlander, or immortal, excuse me, immortal. A son immortal. won't have to watch age and die, you know, uh, in the blink of an eye. Yeah, an adoptee and somebody that he could mentor and fulfill that father role that had been denied to him. And, uh, of course, let's talk about the Queen soundtrack. And that it was a the album was called A Certain Kind of Magic, but it might as well have just been called The Highlander Soundtrack because nearly every song was featured in the film. Oh, yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I was not, I admit... In other circumstances, I was almost unilaterally opposed to rock anthem soundtracks in fantasy fiction or science fiction movies. I did not feel that it was like the appropriate diagenic or non-diagenic, I can't remember which, but it was not the appropriate music for that kind of event. Uh, you know, you didn't see them do that with uh, the movie Alien, the good movie Alien. Right. Okay, you, you, you didn't see that. I normally despised the rock anthem soundtrack because it was this whole it had that whiff of studio executives uh you know yeah that's what the kids like these days uh can we get the the flippant to do this you know just do these know nothing suits <laughs> uh blowing hot air in a room full of cigar smoke you know, it just absolutely convinced that they know what the thing is, and it's nothing but a collection of egos trampling to get to the worst possible idea first and claim it as their own. So, yeah, nothing of beauty survived that atmosphere often. But in Highlander, once and only once in my life, I found a rock anthem soundtrack that was out of this world. I was just like, oh my God, this is totally appropriate for this. This is exactly the music that should be here. Kings of the universe. I mean, come and, on. You know, do you want to live forever? Uh, or who wants to, to live, live forever? To live forever, yeah. I, magnificent. Oh, they nailed it. <laughs> and I never saw that coming either. That was another thing that caught me completely off my guard. I didn't hate the rock anthem soundtrack in a unusual movie. All right, so period. we spent our time gushing about the movie and yeah, covering some things that we liked out. about it. Um, let's move it to the game situation. Now, of course, with a, all the sequels and everything aside, the TV show seemed to beg 
for a role-playing game. And indeed, they did try to find a role-playing a company that would be able to do the Highlander universe justice. And they turned to two companies, which one at the time was White Wolf, and the other one was West End Games. But White Wolf didn't quite have the capital, but West End Games had the chops. They'd done Star Wars and had done Ghostbusters. They felt that they could trust West End Games, but another tragic event would happen. It was called the Collectible Card Game came in, and this craze had made companies very trepid about getting into a high investiture to get involved with this. So, unfortunately, they went with making a Highlander card game, which, okay, there are still people today, as I did my research, yeah. that are still playing it. And it's one of those very niche-of-a-niche product, but it survives by the few who still collect the cards. And you can still find some unopened packs available here and there on eBay for a decent price. So, I mean... The, the tragedy, of course, is that the most devout of players have slain one another over the years. Yeah. Huh. Understanding, of course, that there can be only one. So, <laughs> someday... One of them will get the prize. Yeah, and if there is one card uh, kind of genre that fits the, the ethos of being an immortal, yeah, I guess this uh, the collectible card game kind of can fit that. So Yeah, it deserved a better treatment, I think. I think yeah, uh, it certainly merited treatment as a RPG uh, and would have been far more interesting uh, had it had the full and complete support and the link to the original material. material. Yeah. But alas, that was not going to happen. As it turned out, some alternatives did come into being, though. Yeah, it was called a genre of katanas and trench coats. Uh, <laughs> the Immortals game came out just about the same time as uh, White Wolf's Vampire the Masquerade first edition came out. And it, it was pretty much the same, mostly with photographs of um, the fellow gamers in with katanas and swords and trench coats fighting each other. And yes, there were clans and uh, orders that were trying to make sure that their boy got into the the ring. But more less than a last man standing at those, it was the entire uh, order getting control. And so it had some of the politics of White Wolves, vampire clans vying for control. But uh, yeah, they weren't able to go full forward with it like they could if they had the official sanction, which of the Immortals or Highlander series. And I think that's a big draw. And there's been many fan projects over the years doing uh, several systems, including one with the alleged West End Games system, which the Die 6 system uh, can support just about anything. Oh, sure. And they come out with different powers. The quickening is what uh, drives the Immortal. It's your way, you know, and you have different uh, verisimitudes or of uh, abilities that you can use and what drives you whether it's enhancing your physical stats or your stamina healing and all that so yeah uh, a good system and i'm pretty sure any game master or developer out there worth their salt can make up something i mean it's heck the the stuff literally writes itself oh goodness yes <laughs> uh, look it, one of the weird things about Highlander as a concept is that it tapped into, as we had mentioned earlier, the, the vampire mythos, but it divorced itself from the concept of vampirism. Okay, it, it brought back that immortality is both a blessing and a curse conversation. Right. Uh, 
without having the I'm trapped in the night and live only on the blood of the, you know, uh, of, the living. of my prey. No, I think it lived just fine without ever having fought anybody for many, many centuries. Uh, but, you know, if they want to live to see the ending, sooner or later, like Fight Club. Yeah, it's your first it, night in Highlander Club. You have to fight. Oh, boy. Uh, well, but you see, like, McCloud had friends. There were other immortals that oh, he, sure. he was friendly with. Where the Kurgan, he was at odds with everything and everyone. So, obviously, that's a character. But in the, uh, probably the biggest challenge is something like the Highlander role-playing game would be very hard to play if everybody was an immortal. Yes. Uh, especially if your, your fellow players are eyeballing your neck almost constantly. All right, a little, little son, uh, those hit points there, huh, Chuck? All right, well, I guess I'm taking your head. My Sorry, name. nothing personal. It's, a, it's all for the quickening. But. <laughs> That's why my name is Steve of the Iron Collar. <laughs> well, that TV show, they did have a, uh, an immortal that was running around with an iron collar. Yep. So, yeah, a good inventive way to go through it. And I think uh, the TV show... The gather Highlander, the Gathering was quite uh, well done. It was well paced, at least. Um, and no, filmed on a in a very popular sound stage in Canada. There, the uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 the Highlander TV show. Uh, uh, I believe it was uh, Duncan McLeod's uh, residence was also. Some people may recognize it from the old vampire series Forever Night, uh, and they may also recognize it more recently from Burn Notice. The oh yeah, that's Stewart. right, that's right. So. Yeah, and also Clancy Brown, boy, also the voice of Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh my goodness! So yeah, those. Which tells you that he is actually a wonderfully whimsical character, despite like having seen him as the Kurgan. It is extremely hard for those of us who like that was our imprint moment. Like we got to know Clancy Brown that way. Very hard not to be terrified of him, no matter what he's doing. He could play like. Like, I'm just this really nice old hippie dude who gives away free guitars to blind children. <laughs> and I would still be terrified of him. You know, I'm just like, ah, oh, any minute now he's going to come out with the, you know. <laughs> yeah, the Kur- he's letting the Kurgan out for a little bit. <sighs> Forgive me, father. I am a worm. <laughs> that raspy voice after almost having his head chopped off by Ramirez. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that, and killing Ramirez, they destroyed a castle. Good job. Yeah. Or, not easily done. Not everybody gets a killing stroke that destroys a building. Oh. <laughs> oh, but no, a lot of marvelous scenes, a remarkable movie, a permanent place in the hearts of gamers near and far. I mean, it just, it's indelibly etched on OSR brains. Uh, people who were at least in the science fiction and fantasy fiction communities at yep. the time, everybody locked in homing beacons on this one thing. We all met in the middle. Yeah, it's a, a fantasy movie set in modern times. That's a hard trick to pull off in and of itself, but the concept alone is much bigger than the picture, and I think that's what resonates. Now, there is talk of a reboot of the franchise, which... I'm okay with as long as you're doing it as you're not just farming it for the chuckles, but you're actually doing an actual 
new movie take on it. And I'd like to see something else done. You know, maybe seeing Ramirez. Oh, my. Well. Because there was so much backstory that was alluded to that we, you know, he never had a scene where he went back in time. True. You you heard things about his time in Spain or Egypt or Japan. Uh, (laughs) uh, And wonderfully... Uh, you know, there, I recall some people complaining, uh, much like McLeod did in the movie, that, like, I thought you said you were from Spain. <laughs> Egypt. Uh, Born in the Nile. Yeah. And, you know, like, his journeys in Japan. Uh, now, hearing those stories, you only got them as secondhand tidbits, but he didn't do any flashbacks. The flashbacks were reserved pretty much exclusively. Well, we wanted to, we wanted to go with McLeod is we needed to empathize with that character. And that's, that's a great decision as, as far as it is. But But, yeah, with, with regard to making a new movie, you're right. I, I could ask for no less uh, than for them to like, please sit down and do some homework. Well, you then know, it wouldn't like, be actually, called the night the Highlander. You could still tell that too. I mean, let's let's face it. There's a lot that can be done with this genre. So, yeah, there's insane flexibility. And what I I don't appreciate is the weak writing excuse of, well, I would be super hard. To, like, okay, are you familiar with the the notion of fiction, <laughs> where you write a thing that isn't true? And oh, well, I'm bound by. Okay, start again. Let me explain to you. That Do I have to roll up a newspaper and smack him upside the head? Yeah, I, I'm thinking we have to because the, the art of it has been lost. That uh, The magical power to create with pen and paper has disappeared. And now it's like this very formulaic approach to like, how can we guarantee that it will be liked? Uh, you can't. Trust me, this is just like a vampire genre. But there it will are write ways itself. to guarantee that you will be hated. <laughs> Try not choosing those, which, uh, funny story from personal life. I mean, that, that's kind of how I, I wrote my little contractor's Bible oh. uh, at the time that I, I started uh, working in, you know, as a contractor. I, I didn't know anything about contracting. No. So I called everybody I knew and I asked, Tell me your worst contractor story ever. Like the crappiest contractor you have ever hired that honked you off and made you just like horrified that this had just happened to you. Tell me all your worst stories. Then I wrote them down. I drew from each story the gist. Like what was, what was the thing that that person did that was so offensive that lingered in memory. And then I wrote down a list of those things that offended the crap out of people. And I just said, okay, I don't know how to be a contractor, but if I don't do any of these things, then I cannot possibly suck as much as these guys did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that is my advice to Hollywood when they do these things, which is, you may not know what you should do, but you can for damn sure find out what you shouldn't do. Work with that. Yeah. But, hey, here's being hopeful. Maybe they will come out something great with it, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. But yeah, even if they still tell the tale of McLeod, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I mean, I understand it has to be updated at times. Yeah, Just actors don't go. be shackled to the past so much that it becomes a straitjacket and inhibits creation. Yeah, I... Creativity I'm, needs to be unfettered. 
in my mind in writing. Because the first one, I mean, starting out with that opening sequence. We're going to tell a story about an immortal from the Scottish Highlands and sometime in the 1400s, 1500s who is now, the, our opening scene is going to be in a New York Coliseum watching a wrestling ring, and they're going to have a fight in the parking garage. <laughs> I mean, that... Yeah, uh, talking about original ones, Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. Or, uh, you know, that that would be another terrific example of something that simply had not been done. Yeah, there's a really nice couple, and now they're dead. Yeah, they died in a car crash. Okay, we're, we're still with you. So, so, so now what happens after the couple dies? They haunt the new people that move into their home and fail at it. So they hire an exorcist who drives away the living and who is super shady and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's originality. Yeah, we need more of that in Hollywood, but uh, that could be a subject for another time. But I think that we've walked around uh, yeah, Highlander, yeah. we gushed about it, and we talked about the role play and uh, aspects of it that literally begged to be a game. And I, I mean, it, there's been some attempts, but and I believe that there are systems out there. I, I also I often find myself referring to GURPS uh, by Steve or Jackson the basic games. Uh, role playing system from Chaosium. Yes, these are systems that are universal and that will allow you to adapt things accordingly, or at least within reason. You can yeah, you can you add can a few things, things on the VRP, or you can use GURPS and you know design a whole subsystem for. But I highly recommend you know like if you feel like there's a gap because there isn't a way to play this as a game. Oh, there is. Do not be deterred, but it will take some extra work. Yeah, be prepared to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. All right. So, yeah, thanks a lot, uh, again, for sticking around for the episode. Hope you enjoyed. And, of course, as always, you can get a hold of us on Facebook and Twitter and all the good places. And, of course, you can uh, download the Anchor app and follow us on Anchor and get all the updates when we put out a new episode, like today. Yes. So, I think that we're done for it, and we'll bid you adieu, and have a good week. So, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.